Greetings, folks, and welcome to the first episode of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Cordova. Before we get into this first episode, a little background about the show. I did this, a version of this, rather, for about six years on KSSU.com's student-run radio station. And it was mainly music-based, but I got really into doing interviews and wanted to make a show about that. So I spent my time away from the station trying to start something new, fresh by myself, and that's what the show is. So thank you for listening, and without further ado, this is Far Beyond Metal. Preslin is the drummer for Australian progressive band Ne Oblaviscaris. Recently, the band crowdfunded their very first world tour, and said world tour took them to America for the very first time. I spoke with Dan in the band's tour bus before their Sacramento show. Dan and I talked about the sacrifice he made leaving a high-paying job to devote his life to music, as well as the tour that followed, and his first run-in with the Westboro Baptist Church, and a lot more. But first, here is Ne Oblifiscaris in action with Devour Me Colossus Part 1 Black Holes from their 2014 album, Citadel. Huge fan. Right, cool. Yes, and I've been waiting for this for years. Right, man, cool, cool. Uh, since I think the the demo? Really? I found wow. it somewhere online and just, I had a radio show for a long time, I played the hell out right. of it, then Portal dropped and then right. it and loved it. So. Right, cool, cool. So, so, for so, putting on my professional interview face, I guess, for the right. sake of cool. trying not to fanboy. Uh, first off, how has your first North American tour been for you and the band sir. yeah it's been great so far it's I'd say exceeded our expectations um, in terms of I guess the reactions we're getting from you know it's a very cradle crowd in this tour obviously there's such a big catalogue and a big very cult band you know so to get the reactions we're getting from that kind of crowd has been really positive yeah it's been really good has uh, anything surprised you about our chaotic Trump obsessed landmass uh, I guess the only thing that's really stuck out so far has been Vegas. That's just like Vegas. Yeah, specifically just, the town of Vegas. Yeah, or like pretty much. It's just like we got got there, and you know, there's these huge castle-like buildings and pyramids, and you know, golden reflective glass and casino. It's just so extravagant, and it's like a Disneyland, you know, an adult, adult playground, so to speak. So that was pretty, pretty wild. Our culture as a, as a mass is pretty ignorant to kind of what goes on in the other parts of the world. And it's, right. I always found it interesting how Vegas has a tiny Eiffel Tower and all these sort of landmarks from all over the world. Right, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> mm. um, I read that you had a run-in with the Westboro Baptist Church protesting Cradle of Filth at some point. How, how was that experience? Because they're not out here, but, you know. You went right. to where they are. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that was Atlanta, and I can see yeah, that. it was. We were actually running late to the show, and 
I had to. I actually had to jump off the bus and clear a whole bunch of cars for our driver to be able to have access to the venue, and they were kind of right in the way. So I had to say, "Excuse me, sir, can you please uh, stop what you're doing and move aside so we can get through?" And he was actually okay with it. So um, I didn't actually see the whole thing um, going on, but apparently a couple of the cradle people had a bit of a a run-in, so to speak, with him because he was kind of getting in their face and getting in their fans' face really aggressively and so they were kind of like, can you please just leave us alone? <laughs> yeah. They're uh, pretty notorious around these parts. And right. Again, showcasing American ignorance. Does Australia have their, that equivalent of that sort of group that protests metal shows or anything spooky, I guess? No, I've never seen anything like that in Australia. It's It's... You're missing out. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it was such a weird experience. You know, this guy, he had like a megaphone and he's like saying that um, one of the things I remember say- him saying was, you know, heavy metal is going to lead to pedophilia and having sex with animals and stuff. And I'm like, man, this guy is really has no awareness of, you know, the world around him. <laughs> it's how, just How amazing. is your sex with animals, by the way? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> good, Thank you. Good. <laughs> I love my cat. Aww. <laughs> it's cute, really. Yeah. And this whole world tour really is because of a successful crowdfunding campaign Absolutely. where you guys doubled your goal. Yeah. Ha- did doubling your goal give you any sort of added perks that you like didn't initially plan for? Yeah, it did. Uh, initially, we wanted to use it as a boost to start um, an, an overseas tour mm-hmm. of some sort whether it was you know the states Europe we, we had no idea we just basically were like you know what let's just put it out there let's just lay it on the table and uh, the fans you know I guess supported us and it was great and I guess the perk of of having double our target was that we could go out on tour um, come home and go straight back out on tour again without having to worry about recouping some costs in our own home market which is is what we try to do um, with loudest basically we I remember we landed from the first European tours about five weeks it was just a festival on all the festivals throughout Europe in their summer we were home for two or three weeks and we went straight out and did a whole bunch more festivals and clubs throughout Europe for another six weeks and it was that pretty much enabled us to do that and that was such a huge step forward for the band being able to um, play these you know high profile festivals you know mingling with with other bands and see how they go about their business and stuff like that so it it really was a huge huge thing for the band uh in all of that like you just said you you played a bunch of festivals that you hadn't before Uh um were there any surreal moments for you or anybody else in the band that just like you weren't expecting it or just something you just couldn't even fathom years ago right yeah I guess uh, our first festival we played in Europe was Grass Pop and that, that's a huge festival <laughs> yes. like we're talking over 100,000 people you know Kiss were headlining and I remember we're driving you know throughout the town to get to the festival you get to the backstage area and there's just buses and nightliners everywhere and trucks full of gear and we're like wow and we rock up in this little van you know amateur band sort of thing and uh, I remember seeing KISS had five nightliners. They have a nightliner for each member and one for the crew. And I was just like, this is out of control, <laughs> you know. Like, we were, we were rolling around in this real ghetto van, sleeping in vans, you know, cheap hotels and stuff. And just to rock, out, rock up there and, you know, you walk out and there's this huge main stage and there's, like, professional catering and everything was highly, highly professional. And it was our first experience of, like, we did a, a festival in... Sound, in a, Australia, sorry, called Soundwave, mm-hmm. 
and uh, that was our first experience at the bigger festivals. But like, th- this is a whole different ball game, you know. It's just it's a monstrous um, event. That was really overwhelming. Yeah. So, do you hope one day to have your own personal traveling van? Because, <laughs> like, tell- I mean, there'd be what six, sevens, including all of you and the crew. Yeah. So, yeah, one day. Yeah, I mean. I guess the bus we're on now is the best we've had, but I mean, the more comfort is obviously more ideal, but at the same time, you've got to weigh up, hey, do we really need this comfort because that extra comfort um, could end up in our pockets in terms of cash rather than, you know, having a little bit of extra leg room in your tiny bunk or whatever it is. So we try to really, really do things on the budget like most low mid-tier bands like us. But, you know, I guess when you get to the level of Kiss, it's like, I don't know. It doesn't matter, does it? You do whatever you want, I suppose. So in these festivals or all these other tours that you've been on since, you've probably played with bands that wouldn't otherwise come to Australia too often. Have you or anybody else been in a situation where you kind of fan out and get, like, overly excited to see somebody? Because I've had my moments when I, you know, go to interview somebody and I can barely contain myself. And I'm sure, like, if you're about to play before... X like who mm-hmm. who is making you shit your pants I guess right. um, I guess I, I, I've been a big fan of Emperor and Ishan for a long time so I got to see him perform I think three times last right. year um, that was really cool um, I mean just walking around those festivals and like you know everyone's names on the doors of all the dressing rooms you go past like you know Arch Enemy Nightwish Cannibal Corpse Ishan Kiss, you know, Slipknot, it's just, you know, like, the biggest names in, 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 you know, music, heavy music, so to speak, are just all lined up in the one corridor, and you can, if you're lucky enough, you know, you might bump into them or have an excuse to talk to them, like, I hate, you know, being that guy interrupting people, hey, I'm sorry you're having a meal, but, you know, can I get a a photo, or, (laughs) you know, you want to, like, I I try to give people their own kind of space, but, you know, if we're playing before or after a band or on, on the same stage, generally I'll try and hang out and and chat like I'm a huge drum nerd so I just basically any any cool drummers I like I try and seek them out and say hey really like what you do you know and sometimes you get to hang out with them and stuff which is really cool so who are some of your favorite drummers either contemporary or you know classic okay uh my favorite drummers would have to be Danny Carey from Tool Mm -hmm. huge fan of his love his playing I've stolen a whole bunch of his stuff (laughs) I've got Um, this right (laughs) um and guys like, you know, like the super drummers like Thomas Lang, uh, Jojo Mayer, Benny Greb, um, and metal guys uh, like David Haley, you know, the classics like Pete Sandoval, Morbid Angel, um, dudes like uh, uh, Alex Rudinger, who used to play in like The Faceless and stuff, he's like super sick. Um, man, I could, I could honestly go on all day. I have a... a a huge, especially as I get older, my influences and, and stuff kind of broaden more. So these days I'm more into like, um, I guess, groove orientated stuff or, you know, limb independence and more stuff like that than the metal chops sort of thing. So I guess, you know, I'm branching out a little bit now with, with more drummers who may be of a, you know, gospel background. For example, I really like gospel drumming. That's a lot of fun. So stuff like that. Right. Uh, you famously left a rather lucrative job to go out on tour with a band. Um, how has that sacrifice impacted the way you see doing the band full-time now that you're in the thick of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 
basically, it's given me the opportunity to put loads and loads and loads more hours into into music and, and drums than, than what I ever could before. I always, I always tried to, you know, my mentality is to play drums every day, you know, practice every day. You know, it doesn't always work out because of, you know, life, but... Now it's like, you know, I've got a studio at home, I've got my own studio at home, and basically I can wake up, have breakfast, you know, I might be working on a record or something I've got to do some work for as a session job, or I'm about to go on the road so I can just go through the set a whole bunch of times, and if there's any, any weak points, I just really kind of iron them, iron them out so they're not so bad anymore. Um, so basically, it's it's just allowed me to really put, like, serious hours in, into music and and what I love to do, which is drums and music. So it's 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 been awesome. It was, I guess, a hard thing to do at first because, you know, you go from a, the safety net of, of a great job and, and career versus the unsecurity, uncertainty, and extremely low-paying job of, of music. So it's a huge change. Like, my, my financial um, security net, you know, is basically now gone, but my happiness in life is like so much higher. So for me, that's, that's the most important. That's beautiful actually. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, the campaign brought two EPs of material to those that pledged towards it. Where do those songs stand in the overall oeuvre of the band? Like, are those songs that you'd play live? Are they expected to be released any other way? Are they, were they demos? Because I don't know much about them, to be honest with you. Right, yeah, so it was a series of songs we wrote before the Portal of Eye material. Mm -hmm. So it was stuff we wrote in, like, 2003, 2004, uh, when we were very, 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 very immature songwriters and, and, you know, our musicianship wasn't uh, as uh, progressed as what it has now. Um, I can't see us ever really playing those songs live. Um, although we get asked quite a lot if we will I don't think we will because it's just I guess a part of our history that we've moved on from and I, I guess we felt like we've matured so far from, from when we did that stuff that we we don't feel it's quite um, it's not much of a factor into what we're about today so I don't think it would feel right playing that stuff live I interviewed uh, Cygnus how do you say it? I've never yeah. heard his name Cygnus, Cygnus. Right. Uh, from Metal Injection uh couple years ago and he said that before Citadel was even released that album number three like writing for it had begun right uh, how's progress been on that yeah pretty good um we've got a whole bunch of ideas floating around at the moment we've got a couple of skeletons for songs at the moment um and even on tour at the moment we're working on stuff and ideas and uh, maybe some different dynamics we want to explore and, and stuff like that. So it's it's definitely coming along, but when we get back home, for sure, we're going to be full steam into into, into writing mode. I'm assuming being on the road, that the actual writing of it has slowed and, you know, actually getting to venues and being the, the bus and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's, it's a little more difficult. Like, we just normally sit in the back lounge of the bus and... You know, we might jam through some ideas and say Benji, well, the other day me and Benji were back there and he was jamming out some ideas and I'm like, oh, what's going on there? And we kind of just tried to come up with it with a little section and it was kind of pretty cool. So, Very cool. Yeah. Uh, over Facebook, Tim was teasing the most exciting and most important thing for the band. Right. Are you able to tease that further or um, sort of elaboration? Yeah, well, I guess basically it's... It's an idea that 
uh, is going to involve fans on a more engaging level with the band and, I guess, have an opportunity to support us and in return have more of engaging involvement with the band. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll be releasing the details for that next week. So, yeah, not long to wait now, but yeah, it's basically a, a fan-band interaction idea. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you're... You guys have been playing pretty relentlessly on this tour, having headline off dates from the Cradle tour, and one perk about how how like just constant this tour has been is the fact that tomorrow San Francisco is an hour and a half away. Right. Um, does that give you any plans to do something touristy in San Francisco, or are you able to relax for once, or like what is the short journey? Any perk from that, I guess. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. Typically, I'm guessing we're going to leave pretty late tonight, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do tonight. Like, I've been, I've, I think this is like a 13th or 14th show in a row, mm-hmm. so I'm starting to feel it a bit. Uh, I wouldn't mind a really, really nice sleep. <laughs> to be honest, I, I think I need it now. It's like, you know, we're past the halfway point, and we, at this, 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 this stretch we're doing right now is probably... Yeah, it's definitely the biggest one of the two of the 13, 14 shows in a row. So I think we have 16 shows in 17 days all up in this little stretch with days off either side of that. So definitely whenever I get to a new city, if I get the opportunity, I love to walk around and just get a vibe for the city. Uh, if there's something nearby that, you know, sometimes locals might message you on Facebook or something, say, hey, if you get the chance, check out this. Or, you know, my friend owns, owns this brewery, go and say blah, 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 and he'll hook you up sort of thing, which is really cool, which has happened a couple of times. Um, so I, I just try to, you know, check out the towns, check it out. And I def- one thing I, I will say is I've noticed a big difference between, say, Texas and the California states. Oh, my God, I grew up in Texas. It's Unless you're in Austin... Everywhere else is just like a culture shock. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Austin it's... is a flat San Francisco, so look forward to that. Too. Right, okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, cool. They don't like it when you say that, though. I told right. that when I was there last, and yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, also, in that interview with uh, Cygnus, he mentioned that Tim grew up for a bit in San Francisco. Yep. Uh, you guys hitting any of his old stomping grounds for... Yeah, I wouldn't mind checking it out. Um, I know he's... I'm pretty sure he's hooking up with a whole bunch of friends of his from um, his younger days, so he's he's been very much looking forward to that, actually. Good. So that will be really good for him to get out there and check it out and catch up with some old friends, and I'm pretty sure they're all coming to the show. Um, actually, tomorrow, some friends of ours are playing... There's actually a whole bunch of metal shows in San Fran tomorrow, and a couple of those bands are our buddies, so we're going to go down to the Flesh God Apocalypse show and catch up with those guys, and... Uh, I think a couple of the, the decapitated guys are coming out as well, and I think at the gates are playing the same night too. Well, we don't know those guys, but yeah, they are. Knows. I'll have more with Daniel Presson from Nay Obliviscars in just a moment. But first, this is my first band. Blake Richardson and Dusty Waring are most known for their work in the band Between the Buried and Me. I caught up with them before their July 2015 show at the Ace of Spades in Sacramento, and they told me their origin stories. What was your first band called, and what did it sound like? Oh, uh, I was what? in a band. Oh no, you good. I was in a cover band. Played like corn and shit in middle school. Then I was in like a metalcore band when I was like 15, 16, which Blake and his brother would come to our shows sometime. And we were gonna disband because I just was like, I 
don't want to play this kind of shit. I want to play, like, real death metal. So Blake's brother was like, you need to meet my brother. And I had heard about him. I just never met him. I always heard he was good. And we got together one day, and we were, like, 16, and wrote a song, like, then we were called Gadrel, which was Glass Casket. Gadrel's pretty good. But when we... When we signed our contract to Central Media, we changed the name to Glass Casket or whatever. And then we did stuff for a few years, and uh, <laughs> then I met that pile of shit. He's pointing at Paul. <laughs> it's Paul. He just hit my right nut real bad. It's kind of like in my throat. So Casket was probably actually my first real band, but I also did... I was in a band with some dudes in like fifth grade. We kind of sounded like uh, Van Halen and uh, Nirvana, which is a really weird mix. <laughs> That's what we would always just cover like those Nirvana Java songs. Band. What's that? Java band name? We never really did. No. no. The just cover some... band was called Swivet. Swivet. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it would be called. You start Swivet. with Swiv, think you're in with Ol. Nope, not Swivel, Swivet. Swivet. They're like <laughs> skater kids. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Before I get back to my chat with Daniel Preston of Neable Viscaris, here's a bit of their track, Tapestry of the Starless Abstract, from their debut album, The Portal of Eye. kind of switch gears a little bit and I'm not sure how much of this you might be able to weigh, out, weigh in on but are you familiar with the Encyclopedia Metallum the Metal Archives website uh, yes I th- that's the one that's got like heaps of bands listed and what Absolutely. their CDs are yeah right it, yeah. it goes into obsessive detail about every single band okay. project they've been involved in that sort of thing okay uh, it lists the band's lyrical theme as life and death uh-huh. do you feel like that is an accurate description of Zen's lyrics for the most part, yes. Like he, the way he writes lyrics is, he says that he likes the listener to take away whatever it is they take away from it. You know, whether it's if you, I mean, he wrote "Tapestry of the Starless Abstract" when he was in hospital. He had a, like a really bad accident, and you know that's got some very very dark themes. Um, but at the end of the song, you know, it's about finding paradise, and it's more uplifting, and and coming out the other side of that. So the lyrics are very subjective mm-hmm. I guess and so he basically whenever anyone asks him you know what's this about specifically he's like well just you know I guess read the read the music read the lyrics and listen to the music and kind of come up with your own interpretation or, or you know there's no like kind of right or wrong so I guess life or death is, is the best and easiest way to describe it um, while on tour music and the band are your life of course yeah but when you're home, outside of making music or Neable Scaras, what what is what takes up your free time, or are you just constantly drumming? Yeah, I spend a lot of time on music. Like if if I'm not if I'm not actually playing drums, 
I'm I'm doing videos or or I'm trying to learn new new material or um, there's always something to do with, with drums and music. But outside of that, I do I do like to travel. Um, like me and my girlfriend are going to Japan in May together, which is really cool. Like I've toured there a few times, and I think it's an amazing place. So we decided to go check it out for a while. So travel. Um, I like cars. Um, I like. NBA basketball, so I watch a lot of basketball. Who's your team? Uh, Cleveland. Good. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, we have our kings that we can't decide if we want to keep or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Right. I. I. I mean, I'm a huge. I will watch. I'll watch any game, but I guess I watch Cleveland games more than anything. Um, I, I like watching Spurs games and Warriors games too because they're just so good. You know, they're so good at what they do. Um, so basically, yeah, I like getting outside. I like, you know, relaxing like anyone but for the most part I'm a very very hard work with music so that's that's the majority of my of my time yeah uh, my show is called Far Beyond Metal uh-huh. which I don't know if you're aware is a reference to a Strapping Lad song yes right um, it's one of my favorite songs ever so I'd be remiss to a- not ask um, what was touring with Devin Townsend like when he came to Australia mm, really good super nice dude yeah uh, I've chatted whole- with him a couple times he seems like a very deep dude but he's also kind of wanted to take the piss out of himself, so... Right, like, I, I don't think he takes things very seriously on the face value, you know, like, I mean, he's actually quite business-minded and he's very smart and good at what he does, but he doesn't take things at face value. He's very humorous, uh, he's very outgoing, like, likes to joke around, and his whole band is cool, too. Um, I met him a bunch of times on the, on the festival circuit last year as well, and... You know, they're always down to hang out, and I remember watching uh, Queensryche for the first time side of stage with um, Devin, uh, Ryan the drummer, and um, who else was there? I think it was Mike from Fear Factory too, and I was like, I'd never even heard of Queensryche before, and they were like, dude, you got to check it out, and I, it was amazing. It was awesome, actually, so that was cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. they're one of those prog bands that you know kind of did the thing where they split into two bands that are the same band, sort of, yeah. and they play here all the time, and I've, oh, yeah? I've never seen them. Right. Either Jeff Tate or otherwise. Right, right. Yeah, I thought they put on a hell of a show. That was cool. I would like to thank Dan and Tim for setting up that interview with me and encourage the rest of you to go to facebook.com slash band to find more dates and everything that you can about this band. They're absolutely phenomenal live, so if you're in America, while you can, see them. The world of heavy metal is a rather vast one, and we all kind of need somebody to recommend something to us every once in a while. So I like to end every show by my own personal recommendation of something I've been listening to a lot lately. The band Cyborg Octopus is out of San Ramon, California, and they are an unsigned band. They're about to release their debut album, Learning to Breathe, in May, and they gave me a a little sample early, and I cannot stop listening to it. Uh, It is an expansive, lengthy track that goes through a lot of different genres and is just tremendous to be honest um it is called data minefield and you can find more of them on their facebook which is facebook.com slash cyborg octopus
have been daniel cordova the show has been far beyond metal you can follow us on twitter at underscore far beyond metal and facebook at facebook.com slash far beyond metal our intro music far beyond metal appropriately enough from the new black by strapping young lad courtesy of century media records and devin townsend himself thank you for listening a catbox production <laughs>